Hey, listen, we're going to study tonight in the, the book of Titus. So open up to Titus 2. Uh, Titus 2 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, 2, 11 through 15. Um, we're going to check these verses out, just what the Lord laid on my heart to share with us uh, tonight. Hey, I am grateful to be here and grateful to be a part of this church and um, just the, the great things that, that God is doing. So as we look at this, we know that Titus was written by Paul. All right. It was written by Paul and it was somewhere in the mid 60s uh, A.D. is when uh, Paul wrote this about the same time as he wrote first Timothy in between his uh, his two imprisonments. And uh, and the theme of, of Titus is the inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. Um, we see that theme there. All right. I'm going to read. This is uh, Titus 2, 11 through 15. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen to that. All right. God's word is good. Hey, listen, we're just going to walk through this. We're going to walk through these verses here. So let's start with the first one. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God's grace, it has appeared. And and this is God's grace. We see it in on the cross. He saved us and the work he did on the cross and his resurrection to uh, conquer death and gives life to all those who put their faith in him. In him. We see that. But not only um, this is not only to his um, to his death, but also to his birth. His entire life has is, is the picture of grace, including his death, his resurrection and his exaltation. Um, the grace of God is powerful in the life and the lives of God's and, and Christ's followers. It sustains us in time of need. It provides strength. It produces thanksgiving and glory to God. It affects our conversations. It enables believers to live holy and godly lives. And it's a part of this, um, this sanctification process in the Christian life. And praise God, the grace of God has come. The grace of God has appeared. And it is something that continues to shape us and make us who, who we are as God's people, making us more like him. Okay, the next part, bringing salvation for all people. Oh, that's good news. Let me say that again. Bringing salvation for all people, you know. Amen. Thank you for that. And, you know, that this is salvation for all people. Now, what does this mean? Because this could mean uh, a couple of different things. What is, is, is Paul saying here? All people. All right. Salvation has come not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also for the whole world. This salvation is available to all who receive and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And this is Good news. And this is what drives us, what drives the church to be missional and to do what God has called us to do. What this is not saying is, and let's be clear, uh, it's not saying that salvation has come for all people. And, and regardless of who you are, you are saved because you're a person. No, that's not what it's saying here. Um, and there's three thoughts, and I just want to talk about these just for a minute because I think in our church today, uh, these kind of thoughts can creep in and totally divert us 
from being doing the mission that God has called us to do and being the people that God has called us to be. And they're not popular, right? But here they are. Number one, uh, well, hold on. They are popular, should I say. Uh, not popular according to this. Universalism. Universalism. You've, you, you've, you've heard this maybe before, but it's that idea that, that you know, any... Anything goes pretty much. Be nice, be kind, and, and whatever way is good for you is good for you, and my way is good for me. Um, and they would say that the, the conflict that religions have is, is simply because they have a different human awareness of the divine. Their understanding of God is, is different, but it's all God, and so it's all okay. This is not what Paul is saying here, and this is not uh, what the, the Bible teaches us. Okay, so that's universal. The second one is inclusivism. And this is saying that Jesus is indeed the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, and salvation can be received through him, but it also can be received just through a positive response, a positive response to God's revelation in in nature or um, in conscience, a general revelation of there's a God, and so I'm saved because I think there's a God. And that's not what the Bible teaches then it might even go as far as to say that it does, that you can be saved through other religions. And that is not what Paul is saying here. Um, that is, this is not the, the word of God. The third one is the one that has been held by the church uh, for, for its history, and it's ex- exclusivism. And that's kind of not a very popular word, right? But the truth is, before we get on to ourselves for being exclusive in our faith and holding to this book, which which God and the church have preserved through through time. And um, man, I, I, this is just a side point. And I'm going to say it. But all, all religions pretty much have their exclusive claims. Right. So why do we need to feel bad for having an exclusive claim? Right. Um, anyways, Jesus. God would not have sent his son to die on the cross if he would have, could have saved us by some other means. There is um, no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. Not whoever, but whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is what the Bible teaches. Um, You know, there's something else about that. There's something just special. If you wanted to go down one of the paths of uh, universalism, inclusivism, they just fall apart really quick uh, against the the word of God. There's something about special about the name of Jesus. And we see that in Acts 4.12. I just quoted it. There's no other name, okay, than the name of Jesus. In Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is a pattern in Scripture. Romans 10, 13 through 15, it says that, that if, um, for everyone who calls on the, name of, on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this name is special. So let's hear that, hey, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But let's don't get that confused with any other message you might hear outside of these walls or you might hear otherwise. Jesus is the name above all names. A name that is worthy of our praise and our lives. And uh, hey, 
I'm the missions pastor. I don't know if I introduced myself as that. I think you know me now. This is what drives us to do the mission of the church, the name of Jesus. This is why churches in East China are raising up missionaries to go to West China and live in villages. And it's so funny, you know, like in our mindset, we think, oh, well, they're Chinese. They're just moving across the country and man, moving from New York to Nebraska. You know, I mean, that's not too hard. But man, believe I mean, it, it is major culture shock for these for these eastern city Chinese people to move out west. But why are they doing that? Because the name of Jesus is not there and they're going to make his name great. This is what drives Sarah and Melissa, our, our a couple of young ladies from our church to go and uh, to, to South Asia. This is what drives uh, the work of the church. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Training us, um, yeah, so, you know, today it's harder than ever before to denounce worldly passions. This world we live in. And I think that's a quote said by every young man and woman ever throughout the history of time. Oh, it's harder, harder now, harder and harder now um, because of the world that we live in. And, And maybe there's some truth to that. But um, God's grace has appeared, and it's training us to live uh, for him, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. You know, and I think about this, self, self-controlled in regards to ourself, how we, what we do, what we say, where we go, uh, upright in regards to others. How do we interact with others in our community? How do we inter- interact with others in our workplace? Are we honoring the Lord in that? And then godly, in, in, in regards to God, are we, are we walking, are we living our lives that, that are, uh, bring him honor and glory and um, are a good witness for who he is? You know, I think about, um, you know, one thing we missed out, you miss out on sometimes is living overseas is that's this, this sports world uh, in the West, like in, the, in America and in the South, because we grew up in the South. And I grew up playing ball and all this, you know, and whatever sport it was. And, um, you know, been out of that for a while, and now we're back in it. And we're kind of back in, and it's only starting. And it's probably going to last, you know, last for, for a good while as long as my kids enjoy sports. And, but from the outside perspective, you say, man, gosh, we get so caught up in, in, in children's sports and we get, in, in, in high school sports and college sports. Man, it becomes such a big deal. Like, it changes who we are. We get angry. We get passionate. We get excited. That, you know, that's crazy. I can't believe people live like that. And then we played t-ball this uh, spring. And, um, man, I was so disappointed. Uh, there was a coach for my son's team. Uh, he has the same initials as, as I do. And, um, man, there was one game that, that, you know, that just got going. The juices, competitive juices were going. And I said something to the opposing coach who's a friend. And it wasn't that bad. So don't think. But it, the point, man, I was like, where did that come from? Where's this self-control? What is, what is happening here? Right? And, uh, of course, I apologized. And he laughed it off. And we're good friends. And uh, no, no big deal. But, man, I couldn't believe and the next day I was in the pastor's office and, you know, confessing. And then I went to the young adults pastor in confession. And then I went to the youth pastor in confession. What I'm trying to say, not, not really in confession, I'm not Catholic. But what I'm saying is um, I, I allowed, I, I, man, self-control, like it, I, it was easy for me to observe others get caught up in it. But it wouldn't happen to me. And sure enough, it did. 
Hey, he calls us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Um, Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Man, what a glorious day indeed that will be when he comes back to get the saints to come back and get those who are following him, those who, who put their faith and are walking with the Lord. He's coming back. He's coming back to get us. Do you think about that? You know, so, sometimes it's so easy. Uh, or, or, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe to not think about it. And I'm not, tonight we're not going to talk about when that's going to happen or what I think or the thousand years. Or what, uh, no, but he is. That's important. That's for another night. But, um, but he is coming back. Man, what, what a hope that we have to know that that's going to happen. You know, and, and some, some, uh, some in the church and, you know, have a more liberal slant would may say that that's a myth or that's a, fi- you know, it's fiction. It's not real, but it is real and he is coming back. And so, I, you know, I ask, do you anticipate his return? Does your heart want him? Do you long to see him? Is there an eagerness about you to see Christ come back? Um, it's challenging. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, Just as it, is, as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Who will be saved at his second coming? Those who are eagerly waiting for him. Um, it's a challenge because it's something that I don't think about near as much as I should. And uh, as the Lord challenges me, I want to challenge us to wait with anticipation for Christ's return. He's coming back. Um, I'm going to give you a quote here. Uh, this is from John Piper talking about the two appearances of Christ. It says, first grace, then glory. In Paul's mind, these two are inseparably linked, which is why the rejection of a real second coming is an attack on the very center of our faith, namely the coming of Christ to die for sins. The Christ who will come in glory is the Christ who came in grace. Um, he's coming. You know, Warren Wearsby, uh, there's, there's a quote here. Yeah, he says, there are two poles of the Christian life. We look back to the cross and ahead to the coming of Christ. And these two poles help keep us steady in our Christian walk. You know, when I think about that in our lives, we don't measure up. We're not worthy of anything if we're honest with ourselves, which I hope we are. We, we recognize that, that we are saved by the grace of God. And, and because of what he did, uh, man. That's awesome. We have this hope that's coming, okay? And so we're living and following Christ. We're excited about what he did, and we're anticipating what is coming, his coming, and the hope and the promise of eternal life that he has for us. These two poles that we live in between in our lives. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. I'm having trouble with that one. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Um, let me read another, another quote from, from John Piper here. It says, 
Verses 12 and 14 are like a sandwich around verse 13. Both verses describe the aim and the effect of God's grace as it appeared in the first coming of Jesus Christ. The meat in the middle of the sandwich is our blessed hope. What God's grace has begun in our lives through the first coming of Christ, his glory will complete in our lives through the second coming. Um, so it's this aim and effect. The, the aim training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Um, and the effect of this hope that we have, the hope is in the middle, and the effect is um, he gave himself for us to redeem us, to purify for himself a people for his possession who were zealous for good works. And um, it's pretty awesome. You know, I think about this. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. John fifteen thirteen. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This, this idea of redemption, Jesus, the, the ultimate love. He laid down his life for us, that we may have life. No human can do that. Psalm 49, 7. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Only God can do that. He redeemed us. He purified us. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He redeemed us and his work on the cross redeemed us and it purifies us. When we confess our sins, he promises that we are clean. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the next uh, part there is, it says, he did this. To, uh, to purify a people for his own possession. We are his people. First um, Peter 2.9 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And God has uh, purchased us. He's redeemed us, purified us. We are his. We are a chosen race. Well, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God are. And we are this light in the world that he, is, uh, that he has put us in. And, you know, in, in, that, in that light, wherever, wherever your workplace is, wherever your, your community is, wherever your, uh, your church is, wherever your, your, your heart, your, your, um, the people you interact with on the ball fields or hopefully better than me, uh, or people wherever... God has called us to be a light to, for, for him and for his glory. And then, of course, uh, as God calls us uh, to missions, uh, to be a light in dark places. And the last part of that verse, it says, A people who are zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. You know, I, I think about this, zealous for good works. What are those good works? What are those good works? You know, I think there are a lot of, uh, we know there are a lot of mission opportunities at Temple, right? We, we have a lot going on. I mean, this summer we've had uh, a ton of teams going here and there. Um, if you like to work with your hands, construction opportunities we have. 
cleanup opportunities, you know, local mission, medical, dental, teaching, sports. Um, and these are different uh, mission opportunities that we have uh, at, our, at our church. But are any of these the mission of the church? And, and, and the answer is no. They're, they're, are they good works? Absolutely. The mission of the church is the Great Commission. And that's to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and to go and be his witnesses uh, throughout, throughout the world. That is the mission of the church, to be his witnesses, to plant churches. Um, God uniquely creates and, and gives each person skill sets and spiritual giftedness to use for his glory to do these, these good works that he's, that he's uh, called us to do. The good works are not the end in themselves, but they are an opportunity to display God's goodness, an opportunity to be a vocal witness about who God is and what he has done for yourself and for the, the people that you're serving. Let's not miss that. You know, simply put, loving God. Hey, we're about loving God and loving people and being in people's lives. At Temple, we want our mission, our mission teams to, to be about three simple things. We, we want to be people who, who share the gospel. We want to be about evangelism, people that can't help but to speak about this blessed hope that we have in Jesus. We want to be people who share the gospel and evangelism. We want to invest in the church, number two, invest in the church, whether that's, whether that's planting a church, whether that's helping a new church plant, or whether that's helping revitalize a church. But we believe in the church. And we want to invest in the church. Um, and and the, la- the third thing is to serve our missionaries. You know, evangelism, uh, invest in the church and, and serve our missionaries in whatever task they have for us uh, as they are sent out as a part of us to do the work of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do, but, um, but these are the things that, that are reproducible and the work goes on. And on and on as uh, as God grows his church. Um, lastly, uh, he says, um, and I've lost my place. Maybe it's here in this book, um, who were zealous for good works. Yeah, so it, being zealous for good works, um, I think our motivation is, um, is is very clear here. And it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Okay, that is our motivation. As we wait, as we anticipate God and his coming and the work that he's done and what he's going to do for us, man, we're motivated and we are driven to take his gospel forward. You know, there's different ways, um, you know, growing up as in, in the church and going and serving their times, even with your mom and dad at home. You do things sometimes out of guilt. Man, I, I, I guess, yeah, I need to do that. Or you do it because you might want to earn something, but there's no, to, to me, there's no greater motivation than to know that God has done. He has done, and we get to go, and we get to serve, because he has saved us, and he's coming back. He's coming back to get us, and he's promised us eternal life, and we get to go and, uh, and share that hope so we can take more people with us. Let me give you a quote here uh, from the New American Commentary. It says, Even an elementary understanding of the character and nature of God and his work in history 
on our behalf strongly motivates us to please him by our lives. This eager response to who God is and what he's done for us is infinitely higher than the ought to or better not mentality of work salvation. But it's an overflow of the heart because he did. Man, I want to go and I want to make his name great. And lastly, uh, Paul's instruction to Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You know, I think about this in, in, in some, hey, God's grace has come. And it was a work that he did through Jesus, and it's a continual work in our lives as he sanctifies us, growing closer to him and more like him. Let's thank him for his grace and that salvation that we have in him. Secondly, let's renounce ungodliness, and let's live God-honoring lives in this present age. Now's the time for us to step up and honor the Lord with our lives. Thirdly, let's live in the hope of Christ's return. He is coming again. And we have a lot to live for. We've got a lot to live for. And we've got a great mission to be about as the church uh, in general and as a Temple Baptist Church. And it's way more than anything this world can offer us. Number four, let's do the good that he's called us to. Let's be about God's work here in Ruston and to the ends of the earth. Ask God to show you who can you invest in. Who's, who's one person in your community that you see maybe weekly that you could invest in, that you can maybe have them over for dinner and get to know them. Hey, the goal is to share the gospel. Direct, share the gospel today with them. But if they reject, man, invest in them. Share, share again. Ask God, who can you invest in? What opportunities are out there? What mission opportunities are out there that you can be a part of? Let's press into Jesus. Let's live in the hope of his return. Let's invest our lives in the people and take more people uh, with us into eternal life. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we love you. God, we just, uh, we praise you for who you are. God, we praise you for, Lord, the work that you've done on the cross, Lord, to save us. Lord, and to to draw us to yourself and to make us more like you. God, we praise you for the hope that we get to live in, God. And this hope to wake up every day and know that uh, we can serve you today. Lord, that, that you're coming to get us. And Lord, that you have promised eternal life for all who put their faith in your name. And God, I pray that it would be this hope that would drive us as a people, as a church, to take your gospel forward, Lord, for your glory. Lord, we ask that you would use us. Lord, we ask that you would work on our hearts and draw us uh, close to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.